Today we are gathering around the table in the Walk It Out podcast. We're going to be talking about food, about community, about conversation, about gathering around the table, and about the symbolism in the Word of God around food, which is amazing. There's so much there from the garden to the banqueting table. Um, But I I wanted to start by sharing a story with you. Okay, so when John and I first got married, I didn't know how to cook very well at all. Um, I loved going over to my grandma's house and she would have the wonderful meals and every holiday, but pretty much I was shooed out of the kitchen. Um, And then my mom, she cooked some, but we'd also get boxes of frozen chicken and TV dinners, you know, the silver tray TV dinners. That was pretty big in the 80s. Um, So by the time I got married, I couldn't do much, which is funny now because I love cooking. I love being in the kitchen. But I remember getting a magazine, looking through, and there was one recipe. It was like hearty harvest stew. And I felt so accomplished going to the store, buying all these vegetables, chopping them up, making this beef stew. Um, It had some extra ingredients in there. I thought, well, this is just going to be amazing. My new husband is going to love this. And as we're eating dinner, we're eating the stew. I present it before my husband. And the first thing he did, he took a bite and he kind of winced and then <laughs> spit something out, which horrified me and said, what is in here? And he looked down. He said, why are there grapes in the stew? Well, the recipe for this hearty harvest stew had raisins. I think you were supposed to like sprinkle them in on the end. Now thinking back, I don't even know why I thought it would be good to have raisins in the stew. But being a new cook, I'm pretty sure I just threw all the ingredients in at once. And those, of course, raisins had plumped up into these huge grapes. But not only that, it was very hot of this hot liquid. And when John bit into a grape, (laughs) a raisin filled with stew, um, He ended up burning his mouth. Yeah, it wasn't a good experience. That whole pot of stew ended up going down the garbage disposal. And guaranteed, probably every other month um, when they're gathering around the table and talking about food, they'll say, oh, mom's such a good cook, except for that raisin stew. I mean, I cannot, I cannot um, outlive that story. But it's so funny. So that is one of our stories, which I'm just throwing in there. That's your bonus. Because nothing else that Margaret and I talk about has to do with raisins today or stew, but about gathering around the table. So my guest today is Margaret Feinberg, and we'll be talking about her book, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. And I know you're going to love this conversation, but also remember, this is my tip, don't ever put raisins in your stew. You're listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to heart to heart chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. 
Well, friends, one of my favorite things to do is gather around the table. As you know, I'm a mom of 10, and every night I'm cooking dinner. Well, mostly every night. There are some pizza nights, I will admit, but I love gathering around the table. And I wish I was in real life sitting across from my friend here because we are going to be chatting away about food, about faith, and about really just opening our heart, our homes, and to hospitality. So welcome, Margaret. Trisha, it's so great to be with you today. Yeah, would you just start by just introducing yourself to my listeners? Yeah, my name is Margaret Feinberg, and my husband and I live just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. We, um, I grew up in Colorado, and we left there about three and a half years ago to move here so he could plant a church campus uh, outside of Salt Lake for a church that's in Salt Lake. It's Capital Church, and it has just been an incredible adventure Um seeing this congregation grow and thrive and grow deeper in their faith with some pretty extraordinary humans. And I have been writing for, goodness, over 20 years and traveling around the country and the world and teaching. And um, it's just been, it's been an incredible adventure. That's awesome. And today we're going to be talking about your new book, Taste and See. And uh, one of the things I loved is in the introduction or first chapter, right in the beginning, um, you talk about a time when you went to a dinner party and the host asked you to share like some of the favorite stories of favorite meals. And I just love the different experiences. And as I was reading, I was thinking about my favorite type of meal experiences. And it was at my grandma's house. Now I grew up in Northern California in a town called Weed. Have you heard of Weed, I, California? I, I, I think I have, but I haven't, but I have. <laughs> if you go up by five, you have to drive through it. But my grandma lived in a mobile home, in a mobile home park. I mean, I mean, they have no money at all, you know, just simple, simple people. But every, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, she would make homemade enchiladas mm. and homemade Mexican rice and you know, all the tamales, all the all the wonderful foods. And she's 89 years old and she lives with me. Mm. Um, and so every holiday I'll cook my enchiladas and she comes in the kitchen and still tells me what to do. But what I love is just um, how you just start with sharing the importance of gathering around the table. So I would love for you to share, like, why was this so important for you to share that part of um, your experiences, but also bringing it to the Bible and all the wonderful food in the Bible? Mm. You know, it's interesting. I I was at a dinner and I'm sure, Trisha, you've had this, like you're going to dinner, you don't really know the people, maybe you know one person at the table and it can feel awkward and forced. And I always feel like there are, like we have to go through like the, the same questions, you know, so where do you work? And how many children do you have? And, um, you know, how did you two meet? And, and you kind of go through these kind of questions. And, and all of a sudden at this table, this woman named Jane, she just asked the question, what was your most memorable meal? And it, it kind of stopped everybody at the table. And one by one, as we began sharing, I mean, I heard stories of someone who'd gone on their 15th wedding anniversary and had this one meal in, in Venice, another who like you, it was a family member who made that one food from their growing up um, that, that just tasted so good and was so rich with memory. And as we went through, we realized that we were talking about, just as you were, you were talking about more than the food at the table. Mm -hmm. You were talking about the connection. 
you were talking about the experience. You were talking about this sense that I think represents the table so well, that the table is a place where I believe that when we gather at the table, we long to know and to be known, to love and to be loved, to, to be fully ourselves vulnerable, where any sense of shame just scurries away. And I think this has been God's intention since the very beginning of time. I mean, even you know, in the story of Genesis with the original couple, you know, they took and they ate food that was forbidden. And yet even after that, God does not push food to the side. He keeps using food as a redeeming force. Mm. I think when Jesus came, he, he identified himself. I mean, it's mind boggling. The very son of God as food stuff, bread of life, true vine, the anointed one, literally the one dripping with oil. And we think about the idea that when this whole shindig goes down, that we will celebrate with the biggest, best banquet of all time. God has already sent out the invitations and it's known as the marriage supper of the lamb. And so food, I believe in the gathering around a table is so much more than caloric intake or fuel, but it is designed by God as a place where we meet with each other and we meet with him. And and we can have those moments that move beyond the what's the weather, what's your job, and dig into the fullness of life we're designed for. Yeah, and I love that so much. You know, years ago, um, so you have 10 kids, but we adopted seven in the last five years. So this is more a recent thing. But years ago, my husband and I really thought about what do we want to focus on as parents? Because there's all the activities and you could be running around everywhere. And, you know, I mean, you could to be so busy. And we decided that we wanted family dinners, which meant we said no to a lot of family activities. There was just, I mean, you could either run and do all these baseball practice and soccer practice and all these things, or you could sit around the table. And it was just like something we chose. Well, then when we started adopting kids, we adopted a sibling group of four girls. And the first time we sat down to family dinner, which we're just used to it by this time, you know, we've been raising kids all these years, two of the girls started crying. Mm. And I'm like, what's going on? They said, this is like in the movies, sitting around the table with a real family. And it just made me realize how powerful it is, whether it's family or friends or the church community, that is where connection happens. And I just love how you share that throughout the book and how that really is the, a good gathering place for us to come together. And um, so why, though, was this the book you wanted to write? I mean, yeah. there's so many ideas. Yeah. There's so many things you speak yeah. on. So why this now? Yeah. So the book and the Bible study, it's a six-session DVD study. It's called Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. And in essence, what I did is I started looking at food in the Bible. And it's pretty amazing because once you start to look for food, you will literally discover <laughs> pops and sizzles on almost every page. I mean, it is everywhere. And, and so there were so many foods mentioned that I just, I zeroed in on six different foods of the Bible. And I sought out people who plant, who process, who procure those foods. And then I spent time with them and began opening up the scripture, asking, how do you read these passages? Not as theologians, but in light of what you do every day. And this journey took me, I mean, to fish on the Galilee, to bring in an olive harvest in Croatia, to pluck figs in California, to track down the head of the divinity school at Yale University and bake bread for an afternoon because he was an expert on ancient grains, to go 410 feet down into a salt mine, to, to even graduate from a Steakology 101 course in McKinney, <laughs> Texas. And all I can say is yum, yum, best course ever. And, and 
again, it is I spent time with people who know these foods on a granular level. All of a sudden, the Bible comes alive in a whole new way. And it, it was just, I try to not just describe these experiences, but leave the readers and those who are going through the study with these rich aha moments that when we start gathering around a table, we start looking at salt differently. We start looking at oil differently. We start looking at meat differently and, and recognizing that God's redeeming work and, and the insights into his character and his his goodness are in every morsel and every bite. Yeah, I love that. And in the back of the book, you have photos, which I got so excited when I saw those. It has, um, you know, um, climbing through the shallows of the Sea of Galilee. And you mentioned that um, that Steakology 101 class, there's photos of this. So, I mean, it was, I can't imagine how fun it would be. You know, it's just fun researching as a writer anyway, traveling around and meeting people. But how did the food come alive or what things did you think about differently after going through these experiences? Yeah, let me let me give you one example. So I went 410 feet down into a salt mine. It better to understand when Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and also um, in the Gospel of Luke identifies us and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I don't know about you, what, what kind of salt, Trisha, do you have on your table? Um, it's like pink. It's that pink ocean something. I don't know. It has to be fancy. You know, it has to be pink. Oh, so. nice. Yeah. It may be the Himalayan. It may be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I know for a lot of years on my table and probably some of our listeners here that, that we have white salt. And so I was struck that when I went 410 feet down into a salt mine, by the way, it was in a truck and we drove down into this deep, deep cave with these metal doors closing and opening and, and it got dark, but the truck beams would show the salt stalactites dripping down from the ceiling. And when I got out of the truck in front of this large drill, they had stopped the equipment when we arrived. And literally it is it is snowing salt on us and it smells mm. like the sweetest ocean. And it is just, it is so quiet because there are no sounds 410 feet down beneath the earth. And I remember my host, Neil, took me to the edge of the cave and it had all of that like white kind of powder. But when he brushed away the powder to the edge of the salt cave, there were those colors of, of a rich uh, brown. There was a, a light pink. There was a almost like a, a peach garnet mixed in with almost a quartz color. And what I recognized is that salt is always hewn. It's always brought forth with its surrounding minerals. And so when Jesus was saying, you are the salt of the earth, in essence, he was saying, and everybody who, who had heard him knew that whether that salt came from the salt mines in Israel, the Dead Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, that that salt came with the surrounding minerals. And it, the brown being the magnesium, the red being the iron, just as you and I are hewn, we are brought forth with our surrounding backgrounds, our unique personalities, our unique family backgrounds, our unique geographies, our unique personalities, our strengths, and that God wants to use all of that in order to bring forth glory to him. And sometimes we look at the darker areas in our lives, just like you would a a piece of that salt. You'd see the kind of the brown area and be like, I don't know if I want to eat that. Mm -hmm. What Neil explained is that it is that brown area, those darker areas that chefs love the most because those bring out the higher notes and the lower notes in the foods that they're cooking. And in the same way, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I want to hide my darker areas. I want to hide those areas of pain and of shame. And it's like God says to you and I, is salt of the earth, if you will bring those forth to me, then I want to use you to flavor this world with the goodness and the love of Jesus. 
Oh, I love that so much. Now, I was able to go to a salt mine in Hallstatt, Austria. Ooh. So Hallstatt came from the name. These salts is somewhere in that name, Hallstatt. Um, and we were up in the mine, and we were up in the Alps. So you went underground. We went up in the Alps. But we experienced the same thing when they process the salt. We went to a museum, and it showed all the different colors of the salt. And some were used for food, for cooking. Some were used for, you know, uh, for um I'm trying to think manure and for um, planting and for clearing areas or all these other areas for the salt. And so I thought that was so interesting that we all think salt is salt, that it's the same type of thing. It's used in the same way. But salt has been such an important thing. And I know you talk about in the book, the word salary and salad arrived from Saul, meaning salt, but also salvation. Mm. Um, and I love how you talk about that, too, that this is all um, like you're saying, Christ wants to use us to impact the world. And it's completely different because um, we have that from Christ. It's from him that we have our salvation. Do you want to share more about that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so back in the Roman Empire, tracing back to those words, uh, in the Roman Empire, it was an empire that primarily grew through military force. And so one of the ways uh, that one of the things they discovered was that when the Roman Empire put soldiers on the battlefield, we know this today for our, our troops in Afghanistan, and in the Middle East, that when you put a troop on the battlefield, they sweat profusely. Well, if the salt isn't replenished, they can experience seizures, confusion, brain damage, some even death. And so they began including the Roman Empire salt in the pay of their soldiers. And, and so that Latin root of salt is the word sal. And that is, in fact, is the word where we get the word salary from because the salt was included in their pay. It's also, like you said, like the word sausage. It means meat that has been seasoned with salt or salad means vegetables seasoned with salt. And it, it's so incredible that, that even that word salvation, it comes from that, say, shares that same Latin root of salt. Uh, I recently spent time with a wonderful um, friend who's in the Catholic Church, and, and I didn't never knew this before. But he describes that you know when they they have holy water, and and what that means is they've um, they've added they've blessed it, but they also include salt in it. Um, and part of that traces back to history because in antiquity, in the time of Christ, there were really only two ways to make sure the water that you were drinking was kind of okay and you weren't going to get the super belly ache and all that ickiness. Um, and that was number one, to put uh, to put uh, fermented grape juice at some level in it to, to kill the bacteria, but the other was to add salt. And so to this day, the blessed water in the Catholic church includes salt in it. So when somebody is baptized, literally part of the reason they put the salt in as well is that even after the water dries, the salt remains, reminding them of who they are and, and that literal tangible experience of who Christ calls us to be. And I just think that imagery is so rich and beautiful. And it starts to, to change the way that when we gather around the table with our family that, you know, we ask the question, how, how are you being the salt of the earth today? Right. You know, I think you probably noticed it in the book that at the end of every chapter, there are table activities, which are ideal for families, um, friends getting together, where, where you can start to use these foods that maybe you've learned about and, and start engaging in activities um, around the table to dive deeper. And I think this is so good because I think we get into the habit of just sitting down and eating. And sure, we may ask, okay, how was your day? You know, how did, how did work go? How did homeschool? We homeschool our kids. So how did homeschool go? But I love like on one of these, um, it talks about describe a time when you were lost, discouraged, grieving or in pain and you experienced rescue and healing. Um, even as I'm thinking of that, I'm, I was thinking of, you know, different stories that I haven't shared with my kids. 
Um, especially the adopted ones who've only been in our home for three years. And I'm thinking, okay, this is great around the table. I love how you do that. You make us go deeper. It's not just, did you have a good day? Did you have a bad day? Did your boss yell at you today? (laughs) But really, what are those stories that we need to share that maybe we forget to share about with even those closest to us? Yeah. And I think, and it's interesting how much just one question can unlock people's hearts. And so I've been working hard, just to be honest, in the writing of this book and and in my own life of just coming to the table with those questions that tend to unlock people's hearts in my back pocket. In fact, if people pick up a copy of the book or the Bible study, they can go to Taste and See Book. And one of the the free giveaways um, for purchasing the book is, is a printable stack of memorable meal conversation starters and literally a list of questions that are just designed to help unlock people's hearts and, and dig deeper in conversation not in a threatening or a scary way, but in a way that we don't have to walk to the table in fear of awkwardness or not knowing what to talk about or what to say. And uh, one of the questions that I have just fallen in love asking lately is the question of simply, you know, based on wherever somebody is in their spiritual journey, where have you recognized the divine, a higher power, God, Hmm. or the Holy Spirit working in your life recently? It is amazing how I wouldn't start off the night with that question, but about halfway to three quarters through, if it's an evening to ask that question and give people time to share and to talk, how again, it's another one of those unlocking questions where it sounds pretty simple at first, but as people start to share, you start to really get to know them. Um, and to hear their hearts. It can even open up opportunities for prayer. And it's just a gentle way to, to recognize that when we sit down at the table, we are priests and priestesses at that table. We are the ones who are bringing in the kingdom of God, who have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus, to share our faith with gentleness and love and freedom and grace. And again, just coming in with a couple of these questions, I find can make all the difference. I love that. You know, I was at a, around a dinner table with Ken Blanchard, who's a well-known mm. author. And the, one of the questions he asked, which he always said, he always brings questions with him. So he'll have his wife pull out this, these little questions. And it's not just going to be, you know, talking about the weather. Um, they're always really meaningful. And one of the questions he asked was, what is the bravest thing you've ever done? Um, and that was such, so you'll have to add that to your list. Ooh. But that was so good. I mean, just the stories that people shared, because that's not something that can be answered, you know, in one sentence, the stories people shared. And recently, um, as I've been traveling and speaking, I, I try to have meetups where, you know, you just are meeting at a Panera or a Starbucks, so you don't even have a lot of time, maybe an hour and a half. And these are women I've never met before face to face. And I'll do the same, just go around and ask that question. I'm gonna have to look at some of your questions too. Mm. Um, but just even that question, what is the bravest thing you've ever done? I mean, by the end, in an hour and a half, we were crying and hugging because, you know, some women went back to work after, you know, one woman, her husband left her and her daughter. Um, He had an affair and she had to, you know, become a single mom and go back to work. And I mean, all these meaningful stories and how God was there and how God is faithful and how the spirit was guiding her. And by the end, we were and we were community, we were friends. And it was just that hour and a half in random cities meeting with these women. I think it's so important. I think so many times we don't take time to really just listen and to ask those questions and to listen to someone else's heart and to know the hard stuff that they've gone through. Um, but gathering around the table again, it's not about the food, but it is about that face-to-face connection. And then, of course, the food is always a bonus. 
Can I add one more question to put in our back pocket? Of course. Um, I talk about this book in, uh, in my book, The Organic God. And um, it's this question. It came from my friend, uh, Jay Pathak out of Colorado, but he loves to ask the question. And I've asked, you can ask it to anyone, any background, any anything. It is simply this. What do you love about Jesus? Mm, I love it. I have been on planes with people who don't know Jesus from a coconut. I have been in situations with people who, and it is amazing what their answers are and how quickly that reveals kind of where they are spiritually in their journey and um, offers a, just a gentle, often connection point um, for people who, who may not, may not ever darken the door of a church or may not engage in faith at all. And it's just a simple, beautiful question to keep in your back pocket too. So I have to ask you, Tricia, how would you answer that question? What do you love about Jesus? Oh, I love that so much. Okay. So, I mean, the first thing I thought of is just his ability to transform our lives. And um, so his transforming power, you know, I was a 17 year old pregnant girl, scared out of her mind when I just said, God, you know, if you could do anything with me, please do. I give my life to you. And he completely transformed my life. And so um, it's just that that ability for him to see us in our lowest point and say, girl, mm. just wait and see what I have in store mm. for you. So his transforming power is, I guess, the first thing that comes to mind. Okay, now you have to answer that question. Oh, I think I am taken by his beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something about just the, the presence of Christ in focusing in on him. Uh, in the last few months, I've been spending a lot of time really pursuing silence in my time with, with God and just, just not to perform, not to ask, just to be with. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think that out of withness comes witness and um, and there are times that I imagine myself literally. I hope this doesn't sound strange to your to your listeners, but just sitting besides Christ, or sometimes I'm I'm exhausted when I come to Him, even in the morning. I'm I'm already worn out. I'm crawled out of bed. I'm already worn out, and I just like it's. I almost imagine myself like that that woman, you know, with her hair and his feet. But I just there at his feet, and there are times that I'm there, and I just sense it's like it's like Jesus just wants to say, look up. Look up into my face, behold my beauty. That that psalm that says, you know, one thing I would ask, I think it's Psalm 27 in there, that one thing I would ask that I would seek, that I may meditate in your temple all the days of my life to behold your beauty. And that just in the simple presence of, of focusing on Christ, on, on, on recognizing his beauty, for me, there's just been such healing and such wholeness and, and in just a place of there's no performance, there's no accomplishment, there's no accumulation. There's just this joy of being with and just beholding who he is. Hmm. I love that so much. And when at the beginning, when you're talking about, you know, the whole Bible is just about food from the beginning of the garden to the end of the, at the banquet. I mean, I, I literally got goosebumps when you mentioned banquet and just the being in Christ's presence and, you know, beholding his beauty in person and the, the celebration that'll be there. And I think, um, I love that. I love that part about just sitting with him in his beauty and knowing that it's something that we don't have to earn that place with him. We could sit beside him without doing anything that we just could enjoy him. And then ultimately enjoy him around a banqueting table, which is just so amazing. Isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, so if you look at the gospels, what you'll see is that Jesus was either coming from a meal when he wasn't going to a meal, when he wasn't eating a meal, when he wasn't multiplying a meal. And so I think Jesus was a total foodie. all about it, all about it. Like his Instagram feed would have been stuffed with food pictures. And, 
it's interesting because in Revelation, it describes that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts. And, and why is he there? Why is he knocking? It's not to come in to do like a renovation or a repo. No, he wants to come in and to sup, to literally dine with us, to sit with us face to face across a table. And that imagery is so rich because the food on the table, nothing that we eat comes apart from a good and loving God in the sense that it is our God who hang, hung the sun, who who layers the stars, who brings in the seasons, who who controls the wind, who who allows the, the the very the soil to be replenished with life. Like he is the good and loving God behind every bite that we eat. And so in the process of sitting down in that rich imagery with Christ, of sitting down and being face-to-face across the table, we are literally still tasting and seeing the goodness of God with every nosh and with every nibble. And and I think it invites us, and I'm sure you do this in your own life, but, but to be more aware that when we gather around the table, there is this this invitation to invite Christ into that place. And one of the things that faith, uh, taste and see the book in the Bible study have done with me is really assess the way that, that I, I invite people over into our home. And, and one of the things is I now start praying for that meal and those people like before they ever come over earlier in the day, sometimes the day before, or even earlier. And, and sometimes when they'll say, well, what can I bring? And if, if I've got enough stuff or I'm grabbing the rotisserie chicken from, you know, the, the deli, by the way, deli food from the grocery store saves us all. It does. It's just <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Some nights my life, my husband's like, uh, not another rotisserie chicken. And I'm like, but, but it was fast and easy. It was fast and easy. But, you know, as I start to pray and, and people ask, what can they bring? A lot of times I'll just say, would you bring your prayers? If they're people of faith, would you bring your expectation that the Holy Spirit will come and grace us with his, his presence? And so creating an environment where we are conscious, we are coming with our, you know, our, our unlocking heart questions, where we're coming with prayer, where we're coming with expectation. We used to have people over and, and maybe out of like a dozen meals, I would see, you know, maybe like maybe three or four would have that real deep heart connection. And now out of, out of 12, it may be 10 or 11, just with that presence of prayer and intentionality and expectation that, that God really does want to meet us at the table, just like Jesus met over and over and over again around the table. Yeah. And you know what I love about that is I'm even thinking tonight, I'm going to make some potato and leek soup for my family, have some bread on the side. I mean, it's just a super simple meal, but I could even now start praying for my kids, start praying for mm. our conversations around the table. You know, um, the Bible talks about, you know, train up the child. And I mean, as we sit and as we walk, we need to be sharing the gospel. And so often I forget, like it's all about these conversations it's around sitting around the table, even eating simple meals, but really having those times where we can connect And tonight might be the conversation that they will remember when they're 50 or 70 or, you know, you never know. And so I love that. I mean, usually when we have friends over, they have kids and kids are running around everywhere. So I mean, it's not always the quiet conversations, but we could still have those meaningful moments, even with our kids, even um, in that with them around the table. Can I give you another question for tonight? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, again, these unlocking heart questions, will just, <laughs> it changes everything. Um, it's a question from the Taste and Seed book and Bible study. And it's simply this, and you can ask your kids this. If Jesus is the bread of life, what kind of bread is he? Mm. Okay. How would you answer that question? Oh, not a hot dog bun. Because <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> so my kids are going to say, hot dog bun. How I, you know, I always think of, um, you know, when I was in France, just those 
those flaky baguettes that are just so delicious and fresh. And I mean, that's what I think of immediately. Mm, I love that. I'm a, I probably, I'm kind of imagining like a little focaccia. Oh yeah. Maybe a little, <laughs> little, little of that, you know, garlic dri- and olive oil dripped on top. Um, but what's interesting is I have asked this question again and again, and I have never heard anybody say, well, I think if Jesus is the bread of life and he's burnt toast. Right. <laughs> and it's interesting how even the food that you mentioned is tied to memory. It's right. tied to feeling comforted, to feeling loved. And it might be fun to just ask your kids, you know, maybe it is a hot dog bun, but I want to know why. I want to know why they're saying a hot dog bun. Yeah. You know, they might, I mean, it might be family, you know, um, summer holidays, grilling outside. I mean, that may, might be a hot dog, but I, I will get back to you. I'll have to send you a note and tell you what they say. Um, Put that in the show notes. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Put it in the show notes. I love that so much. Well, and another thing I just want to um, mention too, you, you talk about the symbolism and just a couple months ago over the Easter um, holiday, we had a Seder dinner at our church. Mm. And this is the first time I've done it with our kids. Um, and all the like all the way there. What is this about? Why are we doing this? We're going to be hungry when we're done. <laughs> Can we stop at McDonald's if we're hungry? So finally I had a promise that if they were so hungry, we could stop at McDonald's, which they weren't. But um, just the symbolism of what was around the table, they were entranced. Like it was um, some Messianic Jews that were there just sharing about the different symbolism around the table. And I think how easy it would have been to say, you're, you're right. We're not going to waste the time. Let's just go to fast food. <laughs> you know, they're going to complain the whole time. But once we sat around the table and once these two amazing men's, they would sing the canter, they would start explaining the different parts of the Seder dinner. My kids were just so excited and we had wonderful conversations. And I think another thing too, you know, you talk about the conversations in this book and there's recipes. Um, and I'm again, I'm, I'm a mom with lots of kids at home. Don't feel like you have to, you know, you can only do this if you have a quiet evening with friends only. I mean, these are things we can do around the table and our kids can get excited about these symbol the symbolism too. It is so true. I mean, that's the beauty of it. It's, it's, you know, for all my friends who are children's pastors, like to have a book like this and a Bible study where your kids can taste the bread, they can dip it in all different olive oils. They can do, you know, maybe a little salt tasting with different, you know, fresh vegetables cut up. It becomes an experiential encounter with God's living word. And that is so fun. And the imagery is so rich and delicious. Um, it, it is just pure joy. And, and again, back to the Seder, you know, I, in this, uh, when I went to go fish in the Galilee, I, I was in, happened to be during Passover and a Jewish family invited me in to celebrate the Passover, the Seder with them. And, and man, there was, I know in a, probably in a church, there would be, they have to feed a lot, but in a Jewish home, there is so much food. It is platter upon platter upon platter upon plate of so many different foods and how the singing of the songs and the different foods are so symbolic. And I remember at the end of the evening, um, Mama Vered, she looked at me and she goes, Margaret, do you know why we do this? And I'm thinking, uh, because it's the Passover. And she says, no. And she points toward where the kids were sitting. And she says, we do this for them. We do this because they must know our journey from slavery to freedom. And, and how that embodies the, the freedom that was found when God removed the Israelites out of Egypt. And so too, when we gather around a table, how much God wants to move us from our slavery to freedom and who he is in our relationships with others and the very food that we are eating. It is such a rich time to taste and see God's goodness. 
Well, you just wrapped that up perfectly and beautifully. I love that so much. And again, I have goosebumps. This is the second time in our conversation you've given me goosebumps. So thank you so much. I just appreciate it. I just appreciate your heart, you being here and just pouring. You just, I mean, feel God's spirit in this book. So thank you so much. Thanks, Trisha. It's been so much fun. Yes. And I would just love, you know, you mentioned the website a little bit earlier. So can you repeat that again? So um, I will put it in the show notes, but that listeners will be able to look up the information and get the book and the Bible study for themselves. Yeah. You can simply visit margaretfeinberg.com, uh, F-E-I-N-B-E-R-G, and look for Taste and See. You can find it at Barnes & Noble, Amazon. And you can also uh, listen in on the Joycast podcast as um, several of the people from the book are being interviewed and featured in there. Yeah, I just started listening. I saw my friend Kristen Shell is one of your guests recently, yes. which she's just delightful. I got to stay at her house and sit at the turquoise table. And yeah, so, That's so dreamy. fun. Yes. Dreamy. Well, thank you again for being here. And um, may God richly bless you. Thank you. What a joy to talk with Margaret today. Um, I just love her heart. I just love um, just how she poured so much into writing this book and bringing the feast of God, the scriptures to life in this book. It's such a joy. Now, today's Walk It Out scripture is one that Margaret mentioned. It's Revelation 3.20, and this is going to be in the New International Version. It says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Again, that's Revelation 3.20. And I just love what she said um, about God isn't knocking on the door to come do a renovation project. It's not fixer-upper as much as we love Chip and Joanna. Um, He wants to come and sit with us and eat with us. And I love gathering around the table with my family. I love gathering around the table with friends. I love the conversations that we have. And now to remind you, the conversation um, starters that Margaret mentioned are, what do you love about Jesus? Which is the first one. And then if Jesus was a bread of life, what type of bread would he be? Um, Or do you imagine him being? So those are fun conversation starters. And I think it's so important. Those can just open up to what we really think and feel about Jesus. But also that just meant so much to me, Margaret saying that he just wants to come in and sit with us and eat with us. So let me just pray for you today. Dear God, I thank you so much that you don't want to be in our lives just to um, fix us up, to make us better. And as much as I mentioned, you know, you are the transforming God. You have transforming power. You love me just as I was. And I felt that that moment that I accepted you, I felt the love and the joy and the peace, even as that pregnant 17-year-old girl. I didn't need to do anything to get your love. And I thank you that you just want to come in. You just want us to open your hearts. You just want to be with us. And that's such a good reminder with for me. And I pray that it'll be a reminder for all the listeners today, Lord. I pray that any burdens that my listeners are carrying, um, and you see him, you see her out there, any burdens that they feel like they have to perform, or they're not enough, they're not doing enough, um, that those burdens will just lift. I pray for your presence to just wrap around those who are listening to my words, even now, that they will just feel such acceptance by you that it'll be overwhelming um, to them. I pray for holy goosebumps as they just feel your presence right now, Lord, that it's not about what we do. 
it's about you. It's about coming and sitting with you. Um, help me to do that, even as a busy mom, to do that better and help my listeners to do that better too. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I just thank you so much for being here today. I thank you for tuning in to Walk It Out. I thank you for just taking time to step away, to be inspired, to be encouraged. Now, if this did encourage you, tell a friend. Send them over to walkitoutpodcast.com where you'll find more information about this podcast and maybe your friends will want to subscribe too. Again, I just thank you, I appreciate you, and I pray you have a good week. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.